Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those interested in the big and bizarre moments of history. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're looking at the strange series of events that gave a crumbling piece of London history a new lease on life in a very unexpected place. The day was October 10th, 1971. After three years of painstaking reconstruction, the London Bridge was reopened in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. The resort town's founder, Robert P. McCulloch, had purchased the British landmark from the City of London in 1968. He had the bridge disassembled, shipped halfway around the world, and then put back together again in the middle of the Arizona desert. McCulloch hoped the novelty of his London Bridge would boost tourism and help grow the sleepy town he'd founded into the desert oasis he'd always envisioned. It was an unconventional plan, but in the end, it paid off. In 1970, Lake Havasu City had only about 4,000 permanent residents, but once the bridge was installed, the population grew rapidly, and today, nearly 60,000 people live there. Even more come to visit each year, and most of them specifically to see the London Bridge of Arizona. In fact, according to the city's website, the bridge is now the state's second most popular attraction, just behind the Grand Canyon. 
It's worth noting that the bridge McCulloch bought was actually the second London Bridge. The original stone bridge, the one from the nursery rhyme, was erected in the late 12th century and stood for more than 600 years before being replaced by the new London Bridge in 1831. Unfortunately, the second bridge didn't hold up for nearly as long as the first. In the 1920s, the weight of modern cars and ever-increasing traffic had begun to take their toll on the Georgian-era bridge. It wasn't exactly falling down, but it was sinking into the River Thames, so much so that by 1924, the east side of the London Bridge was several inches lower than the west side. The City of London wasn't sure how or if it could correct the problem, so for the next four decades, the bridge just continued sinking at a rate of about one inch every eight years. In the end, London officials decided it would be cheaper to build a new, more car-friendly bridge than to pay to renovate the old one. Not long after, a city councillor named Ivan Luckin came to his colleagues with a rather unique proposal. Instead of just knocking down the historic crossing as they had planned, why not try to sell it in the United States? Regular listeners will remember that UK citizens had feared something very similar might happen when the Stonehenge Monument was sold at auction on September 21, 1915. It was widely rumored at the time that an American investor might buy the historic landmark and then ship it to the States to use as a tourist attraction. That's not how things played out, but Councillor Luckin's plan to sell the London Bridge may have been inspired by that earlier idea. Either way, Luckin's plan was approved, and he crossed the Atlantic in early 1968 to pitch the monument to prospective buyers. A 137-year-old granite bridge turned out to be a tough sell, but eventually Luckin did get a bite when an eccentric industrialist named Robert McCullough caught wind of the offer. McCulloch had already made a fortune selling oil, boat motors, and chainsaws, and in the 1960s, his latest venture was city planning. He had recently purchased a 26-square-mile parcel of land in the Arizona desert right along the eastern shore of Lake Havasu. McCulloch set up a small company town there and began testing his boat motors in the nearby lake. His long-term plan was to grow the town into a destination resort, a kind of desert oasis for tourists and retirees alike. When he heard that the city of London was trying to unload one of its most well-known landmarks, he thought it would make the perfect main attraction for his future resort. McCulloch placed the winning bid of $2.46 million on April 18, 1968. He came up with that figure by doubling the estimated cost of dismantling the bridge, which was $1.2 million. He then added on an extra $60,000 to sweeten the deal, a thousand bucks for each year of his age when the bridge would be completed. Before the sale was finalized, McCulloch had the bridge declared an antique so that he could avoid paying taxes on it. He may have been eccentric, but he was no fool. Once the money changed hands, the first step was to label the granite bricks that made up the London Bridge so that the structure could be reassembled more easily. The workers made marks to indicate the arch span, row number, and position of each and every brick, all 10,276 of them. Next, the bridge was taken apart, packed into crates, and shipped nearly 6,000 miles away to California by way of the Panama Canal. 
In addition to the heavy granite masonry, McCulloch also got the bridge's ornate custom lamp posts, which had been made from melted-down cannons captured from the Napoleonic army at the Battle of Waterloo. The bridge's pieces, including the lampposts, arrived at the port of Long Beach the following year and were then trucked across the desert to Arizona, where they would be reassembled in exactly the same order they were when the bridge was first constructed. That said, not every part of the bridge is original. To make sure the new version could withstand the weight of modern traffic, the construction crew first built a frame out of steel-reinforced concrete. Then they covered that hollow core with the granite blocks from London. Not only did this help strengthen the bridge, it also drastically reduced its weight, bringing it down from a portly 130,000 tons to a trim 30,000. It wound up taking a 40-man crew just under two years to reassemble the London Bridge. The transportation and reconstruction cost McCulloch another $7 million, bringing his total investment to just under $10 million. That price also included the dredging of a new waterway, the Bridgewater Channel, so that the bridge would actually have something to span. Workers had assembled the bridge over a small strip of land, a peninsula that jutted out from the mainland into Lake Havasu. Then, when the project was nearly finished, they carved a mile-long channel and allowed it to fill with water, thereby creating an island. Along the banks, McCulloch built his take on a traditional English village, complete with a British pub and, of course, a shopping complex. To celebrate the bridge's completion, McCulloch hosted a lavish rededication ceremony on October 10, 1971. The night before that event, he and 800 guests dined atop the bridge in what was meant to be a recreation of the banquet held by King William IV and Queen Adelaide when the bridge was first opened in 1831. That evening, guests were treated to a four-course dinner that included lobster, roast beef, Cornish pasties, cannelloni florentine, baby Belgian carrots, and a bridge-shaped cake. Several prominent figures had been flown in just for the occasion, including the Lord Mayor of London, Sir Peter M. Studd, Arizona Governor Jack Williams, and for some reason, American actor Robert Mitchum. The following day, the bridge's official opening was a similarly extravagant affair. It included marching bands, skydivers, fireworks, and hot air balloons. McCulloch spared no expense in trying to lure visitors from surrounding towns and states, and his plan seems to have worked, as the event was reportedly attended by roughly 25,000 spectators. Press coverage of the bridge was largely positive, though somewhat confused, which was a welcome change for McCulloch. Ahead of the bridge's opening, many in the media had started referring to the project as McCulloch's Folly believing that he and his fellow investor C.V. Wood had made a very costly and very public mistake. However, McCulloch's instincts were ultimately proved correct. Land sales improved in Lake Havasu City, and within a few years, McCulloch had made back all the money he'd spent on buying, shipping, and reassembling the bridge. He passed away just six years after the project was completed, but by then, the development he established was well on its way to becoming the tourist magnet he had dreamed of. Today, Lake Havasu City is the most popular and densely populated town within 150 miles, and the London Bridge, still standing after nearly 200 years on two different continents, remains the crown jewel of the city. 
I'm Gabe Luthier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any feedback you'd like to share, feel free to drop me a line at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And hmm. not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.